you are receiving this transmission, you are reclaiming the faith with Phil Baker on the Fourth Watch Radio Network. Welcome to episode 35 of Reclaiming the Faith, a podcast with a mission to reveal what the earliest Christians believed about the core issues facing us today. I'm your host, Phil Baker. Now, let's dig into history. Hey, y'all, thank you so much for taking time to listen to Reclaiming the Faith. Thank you for your prayers for me and my family, for my podcasting partners, BDK and Justin Fall of the Fourth Watch Radio Network. We appreciate them so much. Please keep praying for us, guys. We Well, episode 35 finds us in part three of my interview with Dan Enright on Jesus Unveiled in the Gospels. This week, we demonstrate how the Gospel of Luke clearly teaches that Jesus is God. This interview will not only strengthen your faith, but will also serve as a tremendous evangelistic tool in spreading the Gospel. Like I told y'all last week, I want to let you know about a new podcast that I know you will really enjoy. It's called The Faithful Podcast with Stephanie Baker, and it talks about stories of people remaining faithful to Jesus in the midst of various struggles. So please go check that out at faithfulpodcast.podbean.com. You will be glad that you did. Well, guys, uh, I want to give you an update on my EP. We've begun recording some keyboard parts, and it's going really well, guys, really well. Thank you all so much for your prayers and support with that. Uh, As soon as we're done mixing, mastering, and pressing, I'll be sending you, if you donated to my uh, GoFundMe campaign, I'll be sending you a copy of the EP, a copy of the five-song demo, and if you gave $30 or more, then uh, you'll be getting a copy of my book, new wineskins in the civil words of Christ as well. So, uh, yeah, please look forward to that. And uh, it should be coming early winter, I think. Well, if you're blessed by this episode with Dan Enright, I'd really appreciate it if you'd leave an honest review on my iTunes channel, Reclaiming the Faith. And also, if you have any questions, please feel free to contact me at my website, reclaimingthefaith.podbean.com, or you can email me at emailphilsbaker at gmail.com. In 2016, I wrote a book called New Wineskins in the Simple Words of Christ, and you can find that on Amazon. If it's a blessing to you, please consider writing a review there. I'm also blessed to be a part of Justin Falls' Fourth Watch Radio Network, along with BDK of Omega Frequency, who I do a monthly Q&A show with called Ready With An Answer. And you can contact BDK at OmegaFrequency.com. And if you have any questions, you can uh, email him and uh, send, in Q&A, uh, send in questions for that Q&A show there. In addition to our own channels, you can find each of our podcasts at TheFourthWatchRadio.com website or on the fourth watch radio podcast and finally the early christian quotes i use can generally be found on the cd-rom version of the anti-nicene fathers and you can purchase your copy for a mere five dollars on the scroll publishing website all right without any further ado let's get to episode 35 with dan enright jesus unveiled in the gospels 
All right, so we're back with Dan Enright. He's been so gracious to do four episodes, and this is the third of those four episodes on unveiling Jesus as God in the Gospels. Dan, thanks so much for joining us. Where do you want to take us in Luke? Hey, Phil. Good to be with you again. Yeah, brother. It's been a while, so (laughs) happy to see you. Yeah, man. (laughs) Um, Again, with with Luke, uh, we kind of talked about before the unique way in he, that each gospel writer presents Jesus as the embodiment of the God of Israel. Mm. And again, I'm using Richard Hayes' terminology from his book, Reading Backwards. But what, we're, what, what I kind of want to emphasize, maybe at this point, is like we're, we're not proof texting. Oh, no. You know, this, these are things that are woven into each gospel consistently, the way that Jesus is presented in the unique style of each unique gospel writer. Mm. So it's not like we're going, oh, hey, here, he said it, or hey, this proves it. We're we're taking the gospels as as a, each of them as a whole, Mm. and seeing how unique in their own unique way, their unique perspective, they're presenting Jesus as he really is, yeah, um, in his uh, divine uh, character, yeah. So in Luke, um, what I think is prevalent throughout what Luke writes, very thematic, if you will, in a sense, is the use of the word "Lord." Yeah, and in in Greek, it's "kurios," mm-hmm. and in in Luke one sixteen. Um, again, we have uh, Jesus' birth uh, foretold uh, by the angel of Gabriel. Mm. And so this, um, this angel Gabriel is announcing to, to Mary uh, what's going to basically happen. Mm. And it says in 29, she was greatly troubled, um, tried to discern what, a, what sort of greeting this might be from, mm. from the angel Gabriel, and the angel said to her, starting in verse 30, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Wouldn't that be great to hear that My goodness. of yourself? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You find favor with God. So anyway, uh, verse 31, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And in verse 32, it says, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. Um, so we have Luke referring to the God of Israel as the Lord God. Mm. Um, his use of kurios uh, relates to Israel's God. And I actually got ahead of myself because I wanted to start with 16 um verse 16 which is before 26 yeah you by, referenced it by about but, 10 yeah, yeah i said it but i went to yeah. i started in 26 sure but it it's the same thing in in verse 16 when luke writes uh, about uh actually it was the birth of john yeah and luke writes in 16 and he will turn many of the children of israel to the lord their god again yeah. luke in this instance uses Kurios, Lord, yeah. in terms of Israel's God. Mm-hmm. 
But what Luke ends up doing when referring to Jesus is he uses the same term, kurios, right. uh, all through his gospel. Yeah. And we could we could hit maybe every single one, uh, <laughs> but that would that would take us a while. Yeah. But just to kind of reinforce that, mm. uh, there's one use in Luke 2.11 where Jesus is referred to as Lord. Mm. And then also in Luke 22.61, when um, we have the denials by Peter. And in verse 61, uh, it's starting, well, actually starting in 60, uh, Peter denies Jesus uh, another time mm. and responds, Man, I do not know what you're talking about. Yeah. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And then in verse 61, Luke writes, And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Mm. So we have Luke applying kurios to both the God of Israel mm. and to Jesus throughout his gospel. Yeah. And so that's a strong indication that Luke um, weaves into his gospel to show that Jesus is um, the God of Israel, the embodiment of God of Israel. Yeah. So Luke's use of that Greek word kurios, that's translated Lord in English, is completely reinforced in the book of Acts. And again, we, we have Luke as the author of the Gospel of Luke and then also as the, the author of, of Acts as well. Mm. And this is Acts 10, the encounter between Peter and Cornelius and his household. This is where Gentiles uh, receive salvation. And after Peter has made his visit to Cornelius and his household, it, it really starts to come together for Peter now and w- what God is doing, that mm. he's including Gentiles. Yeah. And so starting in verse 34 of chapter 10, Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And in verse 36, As for the word that he sent Israel, preaching good news and peace through Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all. Mm. And so there is a, that's a lock mm. to me uh, in terms of, of Luke's writing, him having recorded this occasion with uh, Gentiles in, in, in front of Peter himself being grafted in yeah. to God's salvation. Yeah. And Luke records this as, as Jesus Christ. Um, without question, being Lord of all. Yeah. So that's another uh, theme that that Luke weaves into um, not only the gospel, but but in and through Acts as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's cool, just like in the other gospels, and and like you you articulated that Luke doesn't spend any time, you know, it doesn't waste any time getting to the real point, <laughs> you know, that Jesus is right. God. And uh, I just want to kind of piggyback what you were saying. Like after after Mary hears from the angel uh, Gabriel about about God's plan for her, she's going to give birth to 
the Messiah and the mm-hmm. Messiah is the Lord. She has that Magnificat, right? Mm, yeah. Right. And uh, in Luke 1, 46 through 47, she says, my soul exalts the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. My soul exalts the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Well, in Luke 2, in Luke 2, an angel appears to the shepherds watching their flocks and says, Today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. There it is. Right? <laughs> yeah, pretty so, straightforward. Yeah. there. You know, God is my Savior, Mary says, and God is her Lord. And in Luke 2, this child is the Savior who is Christ the Messiah, the Lord. It's yes. awesome. He's just linking those two things up. Yes, and that echoes Isaiah, mm. where God is saying, basically, I, I think it's in Isaiah 45, in, the, in that area, where there's no one besides, beside yeah, me. He says it a couple of times. Yeah, yep. he, and, and a, a calling himself a savior. Mm. So that is definitely also something that you can bring right alongside that passage in Luke that reinforces the idea of, of Christ as Lord. Yeah. So. Yeah, definitely. Uh, did you have one more you wanted to hit on? Yeah, there's another one in um, in Luke 13. Mm. And this is Jesus's lament over Jerusalem. Uh, he He knows by now at this point that he's going to be rejected. Yeah. And and this is a, a famous passage um, where Jesus is crying basically over Jerusalem. And in verse 34, um, lamenting the fact that that the, the nation is going to reject him, um, he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Mm. So this idea of, of Jesus lamenting over Jerusalem, crying, saying, how long? I've, I've wanted so long just to bring you into myself. That mm. language goes right back to Deuteronomy 32, mm. 10 through 12. And it speaks of the Lord in this passage. So if we start in Deuteronomy 32 in, um, in 10, and this is the song of Moses um, as, as the book of Deuteronomy is, is finishing off. But in verse 10, he, um, he sings this, this phrase, or these, this, these verses. He found him in a desert land, and in the howling waste of the wilderness, he encircled him. He cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. And this is referring to God's covenant people, mm. Israel. This is what God did for them. Yeah. And in verse 11, like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. So there's that language of God spreading his wings over them, mm-hmm. encircling them, and it's ascribed to the Lord yeah. in Deuteronomy 32. And then in Psalm 91, we have the same yeah. language that's referred to uh, in terms of these wings. and. So starting in verse 1 of Psalm 91, 
The psalmist writes, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, My refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, Mm. and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. Mm. So again, this is referring to the Lord God of Israel uh, bringing his covenant people under his wings. Mm. And so what's interesting, very interesting about the Luke passage back in 13, uh, 34, Jesus is, is lamenting over Jerusalem and the fact that he's going to be rejected. Mm. And he doesn't ask that, that God covers him with his right. wings, that the Lord covers him. But, it, but it's his longing that, that he wants to bring Jerusalem in, the people of Israel in to himself. Um, and Luke, he, he says an interesting thing. He says, uh, how long, how often would I have done this? How, how I've longed to do this for so long. And, and what's really interesting is that no other, no other place in the gospel of Luke does Luke record Jesus being in Jerusalem. Mm. So this is the first time that we see this language of Jesus approaching Jerusalem with this lament. And he's basically saying, how long have I wanted to do this? Mm. And yet this is the first time that we see a visit to Jerusalem by Jesus mm. uh, that Luke records. Yeah. So that even more reinforces this idea that, that Jesus is um, the embodiment of the God of Israel saying, I, I wanted to do this for, for so often. Yeah. So that, that theme of the, the wings and bringing, bringing Israel under, under his wings. Mm. That's good. And that theme of rejection also runs through the life, or, or, yeah, the life and ministry of Jesus, right? Like right. he's constantly being rejected. Even in Luke 4, in his first sermon, you know, with Nazareth, uh, Absolutely. his people, they reject him. They reject him. They try to throw him off a cliff. And um, so he's he's very familiar um, with being rejected. And uh, but but after his time in Nazareth in Luke four, and starting in verse fourteen, he goes down to Capernaum, uh, a city in Galilee, where you know, where he grew up, and or sorry, where he made his his ministry kind of home base. And he's teaching them on a Sabbath, and they're amazed at his teaching, for his message was with authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man possessed by the spirit of an unclean demon, and it cried out with a loud voice, Leave us alone. What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, and Jesus rebukes the demon, casts it out. This, this phrase, the Holy One, the Holy One, it's a message that Luke brings back up in chapter 2 of Acts. This is in Peter's first sermon, and he's talking specifically about the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus and how it was prophesied that the Messiah would rise from the dead. And so he quotes Psalm 16, verse 10. He says, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. And so this Holy One aspect 
is, is brought up in Psalm 16 about Jesus, um, who we've already shown um, that Luke writes very explicitly that Jesus is God. And this, this phrase, Holy One, it's also stated in Isaiah very clearly, who is this Holy One? Starting in verse 3 of chapter 43 of Isaiah, the Lord is speaking about himself and he says, I, I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Going forward to verse 10, it says, You are my witnesses, declare the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, and there will be none after me, (laughs) no other gods Mm. but God. (laughs) And he says, I, even I am the Lord, and there is no Savior besides me. Okay, (laughs) again, going into uh, that passage in Luke 1 and 2 about the Lord and the Savior. In verse 15 of Isaiah 43, I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. So when we're getting into this idea of Holy One, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The demons will declare, (laughs) the demons will declare that God is one, that Jesus is God. And, uh, but they haven't submitted to him or fully. Yeah. And they live in rebellion, but we're seeing here that Jesus is the Lord God, the Holy one. And he was able to be our savior because he not only died for us, but he lived for us. He lived a holy life starting at his birth and going forward. He lives a holy life when he's being tempted in the wilderness by Satan. He rejects that. He chooses every time he's faced with temptation to say no to temptation and yes to God. And in the hard times, even when he's in the garden of Gethsemane, he chooses to say yes to God. He's coming into a city that he knows is going to reject them, but he chooses to die for them. He chooses to be set apart for God, to live for God, to save us. And so I just want to encourage you, um, just like Jesus, maybe you've experienced tremendous rejection in your life. Maybe there is a parent, uh, maybe that, that you feel has rejected you. Maybe they left, you know, the house or you're a child of divorce, or maybe, uh, you're an adult of divorce. Maybe a loved one cheated on you and, you know, it's, it's very difficult dealing with rejection and that can bring many scars to us. But I want to let you know right now that Jesus knows exactly how you feel. He knows exactly how you feel. He can not only sympathize for you, but he can empathize with you. He's a God of compassion and he chose that. He chose. You have a God who knows what it's like to be rejected, but he also knows how to transform these lives, these lives that are racked even with demons, you know. He can transform someone like that and bring them into bring them wholeness, bring them his kind of peace that this world can't give. And so I want to encourage you today to see Jesus, see God in a new light and come to him just like the man with a demon did. And if you give your life to him, he will transform it and bring you real peace. All right, well, we're wrapping up this uh, passage or this this uh, podcast on Luke, and now we're about to go into John for our next week. So please, please make sure to check this out as we see Jesus unveiled in the Gospel John next week with Dan Enright. Thanks so much, Dan. Thank you, Phil. Yeah, brother. 
Yes, mm-hmm.